Today we are coming to the end of our little study in James. Uh, beginning next Sunday, we're going to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Esther. And I'm looking forward to a couple of months of learning from Queen Esther. Um, today, as we come to James, I'm looking at just a couple of verses that we've sort of missed in our rambling journey through the book. And as I've been working on that this week, uh, my mind went back to a conference that um, Annabeth and I attended way years ago. Um, and there was a, I can't even remember who the speaker was at this time, but he had obviously given some good talks and he came to the podium for his last talk. And he said, I, I just want to give you a choice here. Um, I can either preach a challenging message or an encouraging one. Which would you prefer? And after the week where we had been challenged, I think to a person, everybody said, please, please, the encouraging one. So in a sense this morning, what I want to do is bring an encouraging message instead of all the things that are in my head because when you see the verses, um, you'll see what all we could get into there. But um, it, it just felt to me as though we need some encouragement. We need, we need something that just says, it's okay. We're going to get through. We're going to press on. And God is still in control. So let me take you to the verses so that you're not left in suspense. And in James chapter 1, uh, and here, as is the case all the way through James, it's, it it seems like he's here, there, and everywhere, and yet he, there is sense of it all. It, it's all in the context of, of walking our talk, and um, one of the ways that he expresses that is to say this, every good thing given and every perfect thing is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first roots among his creatures. The verse that I really want to bring to you is the first one there. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That is James' creation story, isn't it? And it brought me early this week right back to Genesis 1 to see how he was really reflecting on the message that is told in the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1. So what I want to do is just slowly read you the first chapter of Genesis and I'd like you to keep that verse in the back of your mind, or maybe we'll leave it on the screen. You can see it on the screen just to refer back to it. But we're coming to this, this great theme of God being the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Father of lights. Um, Genesis chapter 1 won't seem strange to you at all or sound strange. Very familiar passage. The way the whole story begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is hardly a more poignant statement in the universe. Um, Genesis 1 is not a science passage. It's a story. 
It's not intended to describe how God created the heavens and the earth. It's intended to tell us that God did. And this is where we begin our full understanding uh, as the scripture rolls out about who God is, who we are, and what the connection is between the two. So here's how it all began. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. I'm not going to interrupt too many times, but one of my favorite classical works is the Oratorio, The Creation by Haydn. Um, Haydn was inspired by Handel's Messiah, and he wondered if he could write such an exquisite work of music. And the result of it is what he wrote, the, the oratorio, the creation. Uh, if, if you're looking for uh, something to just spend time with this week, go ahead and find a recording of that and just listen to it. Just watch the trees, nature, animals, whatever, people. Just listen to it. Um, when Haydn finally was able to present it the first time in Vienna, he could hardly get through the production because he himself was overwhelmed by the emotion of what the creation um, was, was communicating. It was totally the story of Genesis chapter 1. And with songs, uh, solos and the chorus and an orchestra, um, there's the beauty of, of this verse about um, the Spirit of God moving over the surface of the deep. So there's just a tranquil and yet, in our view, maybe a little ominous scene of, of nothing, that, that, that it, there's no form. It, it's just a great emptiness. And the music attends to that. And then finally the, the music bursts forth with God's declaration at the beginning of time when God said, let there be light. And there was light. Every morning, God does that again. Every morning the sun rises. Every morning between 5.30 and 6 o'clock right now, the misty, dullness of night gives way to light as it appears one more time. And the faithfulness of God in creation shows up for us every single day. Um, light is a phenomenon. N not just physically, but spiritually. And the Bible is full of explaining that. So what God created was not just physical light, but he created and he was a source of spiritual light. And so we get John in his gospel describing the fact um, that Jesus was the light coming to the world, enlightening every person. And, and so it's not just physical light there at all. It's, it's spiritual light. It's moral light. It's... it's um, uh, this phenomenon that is big and expansive. Interestingly, and I told you that Genesis chapter 1 is not a science passage, but in terms of its science, do you notice that light 
was created before the sun and moon. So what was it that God created that now we know as light and then later produces the sun and the moon to be the way that he delivers light to us? So morning by morning, that should be a reminder to us. When the sun rises, we don't worship the sun, but it's understandable why societies have worshipped the sun because the sun brings warmth, it brings growth, it brings light. But light is something that pre-existed even the bodies in the heavenlies that, that we, we see later come into existence. God created light. And James is obviously referring back to that and says the father of lights, in whom? And so whatever light is in all of its facets, um, God is the source of all that light. Carrying on, um, God saw that the light was good. You know, we would say it was fantastic, it was superb, it was incredible, it was awesome. God's a little understated. And he said, I've, I've just made light. It's good. It's good. It is more than good. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below and expanse from the waters which were above the expanse and it was so. Imagine being in the audience in heaven, the angels watching God creating. I mean, they look and there's just a formless void and the Spirit of God is there, hovering. And then God, piece by piece, begins to paint a beautiful, beautiful work of art that is creation. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and it was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered to one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And we see that it is good when we go to a river or a lake or to the ocean. We think, wow. It's not only that God created this, but the beauty, the intrinsic beauty of what he created would just make us marvel. Genesis 1, not a science text, um, and, and it's not only the things that God did, but we now are able to observe, and these things call us to worship, because the beauty of what God has created is emanating from the beauty of who God is, God himself. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, 
And God saw that it was good. So I have the image of this luscious planet with beautiful trees, flowers, plants springing out of the earth. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. One of the things that we learn from the story of creation is that um, creation is anthropocentric from from God's viewpoint. Um, All of the learning aside, we need to know that what God wants us to learn in Genesis 1 is not how it happened mechanically or physically, but what God wants us to know is that we're at the center of it. That's the most incredible thing, that all of these things are, are not that God was just you know, tossing it, planets and stars and in, in random ways and making them interrelate. He, he does it all according to the story of creation, to give us light. He does it all for us. He says, and we're, we're going to see just as we get to the end of the chapter how that God says, all, all of this I've done for you. Here's what you can do as far as these, the fruit is concerned and the things that grow are concerned. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And I've been to the Caribbean a few times, and I love snorkeling, and she thinks it's the grossest thing in the world to, to have teeming schools of fish all around you. is squeamish. I don't get that. When she gets to heaven, she'll snorkel, I'm sure. But, but but then we go on. God created the great sea monsters. So, there you go. And every living creature that moves, with which the, the, sw- the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Again, good. The birds. Even us here, and the array of birds that we see through the spring and the summer and watch them migrate and come by us and all of that sort of stuff. And the parts of the world whose birds are resplendent in, in glorious color and all of that. Again, the angels are watching and God said, um, birds, yeah, that's good. And some angel has to want to put his hand up or her hand up and say, good? Look at these colors. Look at the, a peacock? Is that what you call this? Whoa. God saw it and said, it's, it's good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. 
God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It will be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. What, what do we learn about God? That God is good. Everything he does is good. Everything that in our view deserves a superlative description is simply bundled up with the fact that what God does is good because God is good. It, it tended to annoy me, the, the, the kind of worship rap that went on, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And I go, oh, come on, if I hear that one more time. But I stand corrected because God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. James went way back in his mind to the creation story. And he said, now, now listen, you folks who are in turmoil, you folks who have been scattered, who are being persecuted, um, some of you, as, as Rens are read for us, are, are being unfairly treated. In fact, um, your oppressors have killed one of you, and, and that person did nothing to deserve it. Uh, you who are in the middle of all of that, um, just remember this one thing. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He, he uses um, two, two descriptions. He says, um, first of all, every good thing, and then he uses every perfect gift. It's two different sets of words, two different ideas. Um, but what he wants his hearers, his readers to know is that against all of the difficulties that they have, the thing that they're able to count on is that God, the Father of lights, gives good gifts. And he, he sort of parses that out and says, is there a good thing? So, so you know, th think through the, you know, the catalog of your mind. Well, what are the good things? And then the second catalog that he draws us to is the perfect gift. And he, he would say, just think through what perfect gifts have you received? Brianna received the perfect husband Sunday. 
well, we'll work on the right. But what James is, is saying, he says, this is my creation story. This is the story that you're part of. That God, who is good, who created things and saw that they were good, and then created the whole ball of wax and said, it's actually very good. James says, every good thing is from above, and every perfect gift is from above. In our lives, in our circumstances, what are the good things, and what are the perfect gifts? If there's anything that is good, its source is God himself. And, and, you know, here we are, we're in a broken world, we're in a fallen world, and we see all of the ways that we have messed up. And yet still, all around us are good things. There, there are good memories of the goodness of creation, at least, around us. There are some unspoiled aspects of creation all around us. There are um, some unspoiled parts of our human experience all around us. And God is the source of all of those things. There's n no other reason anything is good. And that, that might be something to try to get our heads around. But I propose that there's no other reason that there's any goodness. The only reason for goodness is there's a creator source God who is good and who said, this is to be the characteristic of my work of my creation, of my deeds. It is good. And, and that means that on the other side, we, we can never charge God with not being good. And, and James has been there already. He says, when, when somebody's tempted, don't say God tempted you. That, that's ridiculous. God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. There, there's this awful, huge elephant in the created room, right? It's sin, it's brokenness, it's dysfunction, it's failure, it's, it's all of the stuff that God's not responsible for. And yet, even in the middle of it, God can walk in and through and redeem good in profound, surprising, delightful ways. But God himself is entirely, thoroughly, always good. He will never treat us in any way that cannot be called good. Everything that we have that's good is from God, from above. James has an above and a below. Everything that's good is from God, from above. Every perfect thing is from God, is from above. And that one who is the source of all of this goodness, James calls the father of lights and says with him there is no variation or shifting shadow. I think the greatest thy faithfulness hymn uses that shifting shadows. There's no shadow of turning with you from this verse in James. We can't conceive of something that is thoroughly, inherently good. And, and yet James says, that's what God is. He is the, the light that has no shadow in it. 
Um, it, it, it doesn't get dimmer or duller or darker in any way. He is, he is thoroughly light. And that never changes. And the faithfulness of God comes to visit us morning by morning and night by night when the sun rises and all of the heavens call out in the praise of the glory of God. And then if the sun was not glorious enough and as it sets, if that wasn't glorious enough, the beautiful moon in its various shapes and various seasons comes and says, here's another kind of light. And that sun and that moon and all of those stars, the, the starry host, they all came to give us light because the thing that would describe God maybe as much as that God is love is that God is light. And whatever all of that is, um, God says, and here's the way that I'll deliver this to you. James goes on, and this is where I, I might have gone, and he says that, that by his word, um, God has given us, and it's as though he has used us to, to be the gift, the good gift, uh, and to be the first fruits of his whole creation. And that would be James' interpretation of, of the end of Genesis 1, that God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. And James says, because you were to be the first fruits of God's creation. First fruits is the evidence of the harvest, or it's the first phase of the harvest. And, and James says, this is what you're here for. You're here to understand that every good gift comes from God, every perfect gift comes from God, and you are God's gift to the world in which he has placed you. He wants you to be the first fruits of all of creation. As much as we can grasp that God is thoroughly good and that he is pure light, then we are called to reflect that. We're called to notice that and say, how can I be good? Then we get into the dilemma of that we can't be good and we aren't good, but God has fixed that as well. He has sent his son to replace our filthy rags, we're told, with his righteousness. And now, now God and his son and by his spirit, he says, so go and be the first fruits of God's creation because you have the righteousness of, of Christ. You have the light of Christ that is now in you and, and through you. The word of encouragement is, even in the difficulties of these days, what's good and what good gifts and perfect gifts are we seeing and receiving? I would just encourage you as the, as the summer turns its way into the fall, um, notice the good things and notice the perfect things. Look at them. Concentrate on them. Talk about them. When someone, you know, has a glass half-empty perspective on life, be the glass half-full and, and say, yes, 
But this pandemic is almost over and these vaccines are the way that God is healing us from this. That's good. That's something to say, my goodness. God could have left us, but he gave us minds and brains and faithfulness um, and government trying to do its very best. So while we might be prone to criticize the premier, the prime minister, and we all are, why don't we just see what good they're doing? They don't know that they're bringing a perfect thing just yet, but maybe there's some good that we can see. And we can say, God is honored by whatever good people do because every good gift and every perfect thing comes from above. Do you remember when we used to go to malls? So this is confession time. Did you ever um, meet those very nice-looking young Israeli women and men who were holding out a little stick um, of and with some cream on it? I'm sure some of you did. Don't don't just look at me with blank looks. And they would try to entice you. Um, because once you took the sample of the little bit of cream, they would say, can I talk to you for a minute? And then they would bring you inside the storefront and they would apply some of that cream, not just the little bit that you got, the little package you got, but the real deal. And then they would scrub it and they would have a little cotton with um, basins of water and so on. And they would only do one side of your face because they wanted to show you that if you use this, um, after a few days, both sides of your face would look like this. But how are you going to leave the store with half your face looking beautiful? Well, I, I did. You did too. They're all over the place. And I, they were from Israel. And I don't know who the company was or what really the product was, but, but they were certainly here. And they had a shtick. I mean, they were the best trained salespeople I've ever met. Because no matter where you encountered them, they said exactly the same thing the same way to everyone that they encountered. And the curious little expression that I'm coming to is that once they had done the work on your face and showed you the mirror, they would say this, do you like it? Or do you love it? Anybody hear that from any of them? Come on, somebody else has talked to these people, right? Brianna, you've talked to them. Do you like it or do you love it? Here's the encouraging word today. The world in which we live, the lives that we are living, the circumstances of our times, every good thing and every perfect gift is there something you like? Is there something you love? Do you like it or do you love it? Think about those things and realize that they reflect the glory of a God who is the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow, not a bit, and whose purposes for us are always good. That's it. 